Hi, everyone, and welcome to the DCRO Institute Risk Governance Podcast, where we're focusing on risk governance issues, learning about the work of and receiving guidance from experienced board directors, senior executives, and thought leaders on issues that are important for those governing organizations. My guest today is Stephanie Shaw. Stephanie recently started a new role as the Operational Safety Advisor Aviation for BP, responsible for advising on all matters related to aviation safety and the transportation of BP personnel. In her more than 30 years of experience in the aviation industry, she has held roles including the Head of Safety Performance and Risk at Gatwick in London, and led the introduction and development of the risk-based approach to regulation and a strategic approach to oversight. She spent 15 years in the Royal Air Force in air traffic control and takes an innovative approach to using big data in her work. Stephanie earned a master's degree with distinction in risk and safety management and is working towards her certificate in company direction with the IOD. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, David. Delighted to be here and great to chat to you. Well, and I've always enjoyed our conversation, so I'm glad we're having a chance to do this for others. You know, we've been talking over the last year or so about all sorts of interesting things in the governance space, and then this new role you've taken on with BP. So would you mind helping our listeners put your current work in context and tell us a little bit about it? Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm relatively new to BP, the energy company, um, and I've been with them for nine months. Um, My role, as you said in the introduction, is the operational safety advisor, and that's pretty much looking at all offshore travel uh, within each of the regional areas and making sure that's safe and efficient and effective. And what's really interesting about this role is it's brand new into the company and there's that recognition of aviation being slightly different to other sectors, um, what we can learn from different industries and different sectors and bringing that into the way we operate and oversee how we do logistics in that aviation sector. And what's interesting for me in the role is bringing what I thought was pretty much well known across all the different sectors about targeting your oversight and targeting your activity, uh, but also recognizing that aviation is a very, very small part of the energy company and working with experts in their field and bringing in my background in aviation and working with them to understand what the challenges are. And that's really interesting because it does require you to get a better understanding of how things work and using that adage of, you know, work is imagined against work that's actually done. And that's really important for me in this new role. Well, it's interesting to me you say that this is new to BP, and maybe it's more the new philosophy that you're bringing. But I think about a company that has that global presence and in the places where they operate, that you have multimodal transportation, you have weather, you have political issues, you have all sorts of things that can affect the safety personnel there. And as I mentioned in the introduction, you've been in this space for 30 years or so. So what from those past experiences helps you bring this perspective to the current role, especially since it's new for them? I mean, they must hopefully have open ears. Absolutely right. Um, And I think for me, what I was bringing, especially when they interviewed me and looked at my previous roles, is bringing in that system way of thinking as well and working with people. People are your biggest asset. It doesn't matter what sector you're in and there will always be challenges. I mean, you look at the aviation industry over the past 50 years in the leaps and bounds we've progressed with improvements in technology, different aircraft types, how we fuel, how we travel down to the management system 
systems in place, the culture, um, how we learn from mistakes. Everything has been a really positive experience because we've had to learn as we've gone along. We have a relatively new industry and a new sector when you compare to different approaches. But you've also got all those different challenges. And, you know, you think back to, especially in Europe, where the volcano in Iceland caused significant uh, disruption. And we had to manage new ways of working. You had to pull on different people's approaches, different ways of thinking. Um, you look at the pandemic. How do you work with different parts of organisations, whether it be the airline, whether it be the medical teams, whether it be the, the, the weather functions? You start to have to work beyond your boundaries and bring in other disciplines and much more looking at that end-to-end approach. So not just relying on your immediate sector to get those inputs and advice. It was about reaching out to different people and saying, you know, where is this, this next event going to happen? And how do we make sure we are resilient enough to respond should a challenge happen? And putting in place these really positive management systems allowed you just to think slightly outside the box. So you were more focusing on what wasn't just happening here and now, but looking at data, looking at different parts of businesses. So not just relying on the, the front end, the flying crews or the engineers and the maintenance air traffic controls it's looking about everybody's part in that system and also looking and bringing in expertise from outside of that immediate sector to tell us what they know what's different and what's challenging and that's what's good about this role is I am now bringing in all that expertise that experience of working in very high critical environments where there's multiple challenges multiple changes using data using insights using different parts of the aviation system to really challenge what we do now and how I can support, how you target that oversight, how you look at how an organisation is performing and using different metrics to be able to establish that. So it's been a fantastic and fascinating learning journey over the past nine months. I would imagine with a company that size too, there are thousands of systems uh, that it's dependent upon. And you talk about critical events and critical nature of, of the work. That's really human safety. And I think even if aviation is considered a small part of a company's work, human safety is usually very high on the list because human safety is something that, you know, obviously is of a personal concern to to any responsible manager, but it's also something that gathers a lot of headlines if things don't work well. So most of us work or most of us travel and don't think a whole lot about the safety of travel. But again, with so many systems you're dependent upon, have you had to try to learn all the systems that are operating right now in other places within BP so that it informs your systems work in the safety world? Absolutely. And I, and I think What's really important here, you you talked about human safety and, you know, you link that into that human performance in the system. Nobody goes to work thinking they're going to have a mistake or going in deliberately to try and sabotage something unless there's, there's something completely wrong. But generally, people pitch up to go to work to do a good job. And we need to make sure we've got the tools, the training, the culture, the support and the leadership to be able to give them that opportunity. And especially joining, you know, BP and, and where we are now, we've just gone through a complete reinvent program, moving to more towards that um, cleaner energy, moving into different markets in that respect. But that safety underpins every single thing that we do. And each of these systems needs to pull together. And like any big company, there's a number of systems and you could streamline and you can make efficiencies wherever you are. But generally, we're looking at how do our leaders show up each day? 
and what are those safety leadership principles that we want to promote and make sure that they are operating in our day-to-day environments. So whether you are flying in a helicopter, landing on a rig, or whether you are at a, a refinery or a, a production site, that safety leadership principle is so, so important to us because we need to make sure our people feel safe, feel comfortable speaking up. And especially in the aviation where we've learned a lot of examples about the just culture. And what I talk about just culture is about being comfortable, being in an environment where it's safe to speak up. It's safe to say, actually, I'm fatigued. Actually, I can't fly the aircraft today or I've not, you know, not feeling well enough to operate in that sector without the fear of being punished or without the fear of something happening to you. And I think that, again, is a really strong message to take into all of these sectors and say these systems need to work for everyone. And we need to make sure that the leadership right from the top, the culture is there and that people do feel comfortable to say, actually, I need to put down this piece of equipment um, or I can't fly on that helicopter today because my mind is elsewhere or I've got other um, activities on my mind that's going to make me distracted. So I think what I can bring in this role as well is just bringing in that experience or where you have to be right on your game all the time and there is no fear of punishment or retribution if you aren't up to speed or you aren't feeling in the right place and we've learned so many lessons and again the oil and gas industry the modern energy world now um, have also got great examples for us to learn from so we can share from both sides and really make sure that safety is at the forefront of our minds it's always that number one priority definitely from aviation in thinking about your coming into a new role and maybe in from a different culture or in introducing yourself to a different culture, I would think that there are some, you know, we talk a lot in, in, in the work of the DCRO Institute about diversity of thought and diversity of approach to ideas and how we think that contributes to innovation, also contributes to uh, seeing how to solve risk problems well. Do you see that too in the logistics and safety world? If, if, if you're working with a global organization, I would imagine they're just myriad cultural perspectives that are brought into this. Is that helpful to have that kind of diversity of thought in logistics and safety, or do you want everybody to be thinking the same way? No, diversity thought to be is absolutely essential. And, you know, when you come into the environment, I, you, you, you look at the environment as a whole, and we're an incredibly diverse organization. So you're global, you have a global presence, pretty much a footprint everywhere in every continent. And that's really good to see because we have that ability to be able to reach out and work with different cultures. But what I do see and what I'm finding as a, in a new into this role is there's a lot of the same thinking from a perspective of it's very engineering centric. So there's lots of engineering thoughts and mindsets. And what I'm bringing is a non-engineer's thought and perspective. And, and it can be quite uh, eye-opening when you sat there in a conversation and there's a number of viewpoints on a particular aspect. And then I'll bring in something completely different and a different aspect because I don't have an engineering background. Um, I don't come from chemical engineers or mechanical engineers. I'm an air traffic controller and we think differently, we work differently and we operate differently. So looking at safety from a number of different angles is absolutely essential. And my role does bring that. It does bring a different way of challenging the norm, of challenging how you do things. 
and bringing in expertise from a different discipline to say, well, you can do safety in a number of different ways and you can be targeted and you can be risk-based and you can focus your attention in, in different ways. And I think that's absolutely essential to bring people into this organisation, whether you work in any particular safety department, bringing people in and getting thoughts. There's no such thing as somebody having the authority on ideas. Everybody can bring in ideas. You know, David, it's absolutely essential to bring people in and speak to them because otherwise we'd all be thinking down the same path and we'd never actually evolve and innovate to the next level. Yeah, I think that's really important to think about this as an evolution in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. And I want to jump to a discussion that you know, most of our audience are people who are serving on boards or, or uh, aspiring to serve on boards. And since we're talking about this idea of bringing diverse perspectives in, I know you're part of a, mm-hmm. uh, an effort called or an organization called Resilient Corporate. And if you're able to talk a little bit about that, I'd also be interested to know, though, as you think about this diversity of thinking in the boardroom, so you talk about a company that's got a culture of engineers. We see in a lot of boardrooms, particularly the older boards, that there is a uniform mindset or nearly uniform mindset. How do you see, you know, say some of your work with Resilient Corporate, some of the work that you've done in, in the, the aviation space, how do you see that transferring into the boardroom? Again, as you've gone through your IOD program, what are some of the ideas that have come into your head? Brilliant. And, and thank you as well. So Resilient Corporates, again, it's a great opportunity for somebody like me who's not sat on a board before to operate in a non-executive role. And Resilient Corporates have done a great piece of work last year where they spoke to boards from across different sectors to find out what they thought and how they were feeling in the middle of the pandemic and what had their purpose changed. And I thought it was really fascinating when we got the results back. And what came out really loud and clear, which connects to what I'm doing now, is boards were feeling fatigued. So whether that be fatigued from their decision-making, Zoom calls, you name it, the, the, the boards were generally starting to feel like there were, there were conflicts coming in between different challenges and different opinions because you weren't meeting face-to-face, you weren't able to share. And there's a feeling of, you know, has our purpose changed as an organisation? And, and how did the board feel about post-pandemic, you know, recovery, the challenges that the, the pandemic has caused for pretty much everybody? I don't think anybody's been untouched by the pandemic. So for me, that was a great opportunity to understand what the challenges might be in the future. And I think what I would be saying now is there's got to be an element of relevance. What what actually makes you still be relevant in your board and being established for 20, 30, 40 years is not going to really keep you relevant. And we were, I was at an aviation conference just recently and they asked us the same question. Where do you think you're going to be or what do you think is going to happen to this sector in the next 18 years. So they were sort of looking at what does 2040 look like? And there were a number of opportunities to talk and um, you know whether drones would be flying everywhere, whether we would have different types of fuel economy, whether what the payload was going to look like, would there be more artificial intelligence, robotics? All those sorts of things came up. And one of the things I said, well, if you go backwards then and say, what did we think 18 years ago instead? And uh, what was that world looking like in 2004? And what's actually hit us left field? 
that we weren't expecting because there were lots of clever people around the room back in 2004 saying, what will the world look like in 2020, 2022, and what will we be doing? I don't think anybody would have predicted the pandemic as much as the impact it's had. So my, my sort of a real sort of challenge to boards is you've got to think broader than your current framework. You've got to be relevant. You've got to think about what's going to come out of left field that you weren't planning for. And there isn't a, an automatic solution to that. And where's that sweet spot now? Five years ago, 10 years ago, would we be looking at organizations and saying to them, not only do you need to be safe and efficient to be able to provide a service, there now needs to be this sweet spot in between safety, efficiency, and carbon. So maybe payloads, for example, on helicopters or aircraft, instead of saying we can carry 60 passengers or 18 helicopter passengers, and we can do this efficiency, and we can do this really quickly in a safe and efficient air helicopter, actually that payload might need now to go down to 14 because that sweet spot in the middle of being safe, efficient and carbon acknowledging and where that challenge is going to come from might mean that companies now have to weigh up a different perspective that they hadn't actually factored into their financial planning, into their purpose and their strategy. And maybe that is the third thing that always needs to be in the mindset and has to be given a, a similar level of support within the organisations. So, yeah, so I would be saying to boards now, it is really about relevance and how do you remain resilient in this changing world and how do you bring that diversity of thinking? So don't always look for the obvious candidate for your boards. Don't always look for that experience of 30 years in the same industry or 30 years in a similar industry. Bring people in. Let's start to bring in people in shadow boards. And, and not only doing that, when we're talking about managing upwards and downwards, boards could do with you know, shadowing younger people who are starting out on their career and see what actually challenges them and how do then they bring in that expertise to be able to share, because that's where the left field is going to come in from. It's an unexpected conversation or those people that are working in their bedrooms now, they'll be coming up with the great ideas and we won't see it coming for a long time. And then by that time, we're then going to have to adapt more quickly to be able to respond and remain relevant. I, I the relevancy and in, in just the expression you've got to be relevant that hits yeah. home and I, I cite this often but a really impactful conversation I had with a gentleman named Deepak Jain who was running the Kellogg Business School at the time we met and he talked about the single biggest risk any organization faces is not knowing its customers needs in the future and I think that's that's essentially what you're trying to get at but to be in a boardroom mm -hmm. and constantly asking you know you said 2040 constantly asking, what is it that we need to be in order to be relevant in the future? And that may be three years, five years, or 18 years, as, as you've looked at. So I think that's really important. And I love this idea of shadow boards. We'll have to try and explore that a little bit more if we have time. Yeah. But the, the thing, I'm, there are a couple of things I want to get back to, again, in the systems notion of this, because the pandemic made more people aware of systems than anything I could imagine, in part because the systems had all been working really well. And then all of a sudden we had issues with human capital not being available. So I think about your work within BP and BP as a company, and, and this is true of a lot of companies, but I would imagine there is an enormous impact on a company when third-party providers are a big part of their work. So I would think, again, in transportation, that you're reliant upon numerous third parties. How do you manage the challenge of dealing with them 
you know, in an environment like a pandemic or, or in general, when you can't tell them exactly what to do, how do you, how do you, how do you incorporate that into your work? That's a really good point. And it is really difficult, isn't it? Because you, you know, you don't have the same level of jurisdiction over whether it's suppliers, contractors, but there is an expectation that when you hire or you contract out a particular service, that that service is going to be safe, it's going to be efficient, it's going to be effective. But it's there's an element of what I used to call leading beyond authority. You don't necessarily have the stripes on your shoulder to be able to order or ask people to do things that may be outside their remit, but you are morally bound and duty bound to make sure that that service remains safe and efficient and delivers the product that you want. But also it's understanding where that risk lies as well. And I think, again, that's really important for us because especially in my old job where as a regulator, you didn't own the risk, but you were very much aware of the risks in the system. And your job as an oversight manager or targeting that oversight, you had to understand what you could do to influence those actions and activities because you didn't actually physically own the risk. And it's the same sort of concept here where you rely very heavily on contract staff to support services. We've got some very technical expertise in the business and I'm still learning. So, and um, I'm just trying to work out which parts of the business does what, and it's fascinating every day. But contractors do make up quite a significant part of the business, which is great because you can't do everything yourself. But we need to make sure that those values and behaviors that we all operate to are the same for our contracts that we expect the same we look after them the same we genuinely care about people which is fantastic but understanding how those risks are then manifesting themselves is a different story because you really need to understand what's going on and it goes back to that work is imagined against work that is done you really need to understand what goes on so you can manage that risk from a perspective of i can't physically do anything about it but i can influence and i can influence by getting a better knowledge of how things are actually happening on the front line, what I can do to support them, then how I can replay that back to whether it's the board or the management team or the senior leadership group to say, this is where we need to focus our attention. So we may not have a direct input into it, but you can still influence and persuade by knowing exactly what's required and working with those people and really valuing them in your organization. Well, and how do you use the expression earlier, targeting oversight, if I'm, if I'm remembering that correctly, how do you as a board help guide that? Or do you, just, do you just count on the individuals being there that understand what targeting oversight means? Because I think, again, BP, an incredibly complex organization with critical role that it plays in the world economy, and in an environment now where cyber threats are extremely high and, and companies like BP may even be targeted because of the work that they do. So how does a board then ensure that it's targeting oversight in the right places? Is it, is it simply just making sure there are people like you in place or is the board supposed to be doing more? I think it goes back to making sure that you understand your data. And for me, data is so important. It does doesn't take away that gut feeling. It doesn't take away that um, operators knows for the business and their subject matter expertise. You do need that definitely, but you need really good data that comes from a trusted source. So whether that be intelligence gathered from site visits, intelligence gathered from 
key performance indicators, everything that, that pulls together. And from there, you know, we have a finite number of resources. Where do we need to go? What do we need to look at to make sure that we are focusing on those right things? And there is a sort of a balance between a compliance approach or conformance and a, a performance approach. And they both equally have a place in how we do our business. When you're from a compliance perspective, there's an expectation you meet a standard. That's absolutely critical. Without meeting a standard, you shouldn't be operating or you shouldn't be doing a particular activity. And that was particularly key for me in my last role. There was an expectation that an airport or an airline or an engineering company met the standard. And so from there, you could then say, great, we know you've met the standard. We're now going to focus the attention on the things like whether it's a, a new piece of equipment being brought in or a change to a procedure or a change to operating hours, which can apply to any business, whether it's an energy company, an aviation, a travel company. You're looking at the things that have changed as well because you've met a standard already and you've got to keep going back to make sure that standard is still relevant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, things could fall down. But this is about now targeting those areas and saying, these are where we can really add value and we can spend time understanding what's changed and how that's changed. Have they had a new series of managers or have they had a new series of team leaders? How are those team leaders showing up? Do they give us that level of confidence that they understand the issues and the problems? And if not, what do we do to help? So there's always the upside to that is you don't just go in to look for things. You go in to look for things to help and support. And that's where that relationship comes in. You're not just going in and targeting, saying to the board, we need to do better here. We need to have more input here. You need to be worried about this. We need to be able to say to the board, this is where we focus our attention and this is what's going to add value. And this is how we're going to improve in that area. And that's why we're spending time, money, resource and effort focusing that way. At the same time, we can still give you assurance that this part of the business is still performing and working well. And we know we've got that baseline established and we'll go and sample that baseline routinely. And it's not saying, again, because people think, you know, do you drop compliance then away from that? No, mm. you don't. You still keep that going because that baseline is their baseline. Right. What you do, we're now targeting. Yeah. Yeah. And the baseline maybe keeps rising if you're in a good, if you're in a good corporation. So let me let Definitely. me go back to this, this this notion that you had mentioned before of shadow boards because um, this is interesting in this whole context again of making sure that you're relevant. So tell me a little bit about how, and we've just got a couple of minutes left, so so maybe just a, a quick overview of how a shadow board could help an existing board or a corporation as it moves from today to, as you'd said before, 2040, but maybe even 2025 and 2030. How does a shadow board operate and what are the benefits? Brilliant. So I'll give you a quick anecdote. I was at this aviation conference at the weekend and we were using a particular piece of equipment. And the, the host said, if you're not sure, turn to the youngest person on your table <laughs> and ask them how to do it. Now, if you take that theory in practice and say, Okay, if you're not sure what to do, because boards won't have all the answers all the time, every single day, they're human. Of course, they're going to need help and support. If you bring a shadow board in of people with desire, they want to learn, they want to do something, that shadow board could either sit alongside an existing sitting board, as in physically being in the meeting at the same time, there may be challenges with that, or they could run a shadow board separately and say, this is what was presented to us 
this is the decision we made this is the actions we would take and see where that delta is and you know if they're very much alike then maybe you're not getting anything out of it but i would like to see that they're very different Hmm. because you're coming at it with a different perspective you're not coming at it with the life lessons that an existing board may have and equally you're not coming at it with the um, close perspective that another part of the team would have so the logistics of how it would run and operate could be different for every company because I'm sure there'll be challenges in each aspect. But having those young people come through, giving people opportunities sooner rather than them having to serve, you know, a level of apprenticeship. And I use that term widely <laughs> um, because I have people come to me and say, and I've, I've now going to be a champion and advocate for bringing new people into the business to give them opportunities, not just through a mentoring scheme, but saying, okay, come and shadow this, come and sit on this meeting, come and listen to this. What would you have said instead? What would you have offered instead? And making it much more relaxed so people don't think that they have to be on their best behaviour all the time. They can actually say, do you know what? I thought that was rubbish or I thought that was, why didn't you think of this bit or why didn't you add that piece in? So the the actual format, and and it's just a germ of an idea at this stage, but I think it's something that we could take forward. And I think most people in organisations who have a desire to get on and succeed will probably jump at the chance to have some level of exposure and bring in back to yeah. that diverse thinking, bring that back in. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's fantastic. And in some things I heard in what you were saying, echoes of the stakeholder board, but the stakeholder boards or in the dual board systems where we have oversight boards, they tend still to be more senior people. And, and I think in this, you know, I, I would think of it as you had mentioned, bringing some of the young perspectives in. And in some ways, it sounds like a succession planning approach to the senior executive space, where out of this, you may identify future talent for board service, if not immediately, say, on a BP board or on the, the large parent company board maybe on a subsidiary board. It's a great chance for people to bring their ideas and also to show some of their talent. And you know, obviously we don't expect someone in their 20s to, to be fully conversant in how large corporations run, but one of the things is they look at things differently and, and that may challenge how large corporations run, especially as you look forward in, in, in 2040. This is wonderful. I really appreciate your time. I think that you know, you mentioned that you haven't served on a board yet, but I think whenever you get a chance and, and when someone invites you to their board, they're going to benefit greatly from this perspective. And, and I hope that you get that opportunity because I do think you'll bring something very unique to the table. I've always enjoyed our conversations and I hope that everyone listening today got something from this as well. And thank you, Stephanie, for your time. My pleasure, David. It's always a pleasure to chat to you. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. Lovely to speak to you.